A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello, I'm Claire from Wild Ginger Running, the trail and ultra running YouTube channel. And this is the podcast version of my weekly live chat with an athlete, coach or other running expert. The link to the original film on YouTube is in the show notes. Check out my Instagram and YouTube channel for more training advice, inspiration and gear reviews. Everything is Wild Ginger Running and my blog is wildgingerrunning.co.uk. Support me on Patreon if you enjoy this free advice at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Enjoy this podcast and see you next week for more. Good evening and welcome to the continuing Scotty takeover of Wild Ginger Running. Hope we're all well. How are you doing, Jen? Evening well, thinking that I picked up a tan last week in the mountains because I look quite red. You look very red, don't you? Maybe it's this kind of late summer evening glow or spring evening glow coming through. But you, yeah, you escaped up to the mountains last week, didn't Break you? Break out of the village, yeah. Break out of the village, took a little tent, went and explored some mountains. Yeah. And actually, that's quite a, a neat little tenuous link there to our guest this evening because tonight we are we're heading off into the mountains aren't we with we our are guest. we're doing some fast uphill running which i didn't do last week oh did you not was <laughs> no. it more kind of just gentle strolling around sort of it's day more strolling around looking at the views <laughs> amazing views they were as well you really lucked out with the weather yeah but tonight so we're going to be looking uh at more at fell running so i know wild ginger running is more about trail running but we're heading off into the mountains and looking at fell running and our guest tonight is the wonderful Mr. Ben Mouncey. So give him a round of applause, everybody. And so let me introduce Ben. So I've got a, a bio here for Ben. Thank you for coming along and joining us this evening. So according to your bio, you're 29 years old. Um, oh, no, I mean, two times, yeah. <laughs> you're 39 and, and three quarters. 
um, years old. I don't know why I'm saying your age, but it does say that on your bio, <laughs> on your website. You don't yeah. normally celebrate. Not, not how I introduce guests, <laughs> to me for the record. You're, you're based in God's own country of Yorkshire, I understand. Um, Absolutely. In the Wharfdale Valley. And you've been kind of doing this wonderful sport of fowling a mountain run, but you've got some amazing career highlights. If I can just rattle a few off. Um, if it doesn't inflate your ego too much, <laughs> hopefully your head won't expand and will stay on on the screen. Um, but top of the list, 2019 second in the world masters mountain running championships. Hang on, you're not over you're not over 40 yet. Anyway, we'll we'll skip that one. Um, UK international counties fell running champion 2016, third place at the English champ fell running championships. So that's the whole series. Winner of the Black Coombe Fell Race, which is a great fell race up in uh, Lake District. You've represented Yorkshire five times. You've represented Great Britain at the World Mountain Running Championships in 2015. You've represented Great Britain at the European Mountain Run Championships in 2016. It's just, um, we could just spend all evening going, going on and on and on. And the other thing you've not got on this list, though, is that you also make a really damn good mean cup of coffee as well. Oh, thank you that, very much. That, that should have been top of the list, really. That, that, that should, <laughs> we should have had that on, on top of the list, and I'm sure we'll come on to um, that also. But are, are you still the captain of Calder Valley Running Club as um, well? Or is that well, I, I used to be, and then I didn't do a very good job, so they sort of sacked me from that position. <laughs> and, uh, oh, my God. Sean Godsman is in charge now. Another Were you AWOL across, across Europe at, when you should have been at meetings and things? Yeah, I was too busy making coffee, oh, going running and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I was in Italy me from that position so I didn't, it didn't last very long but I just kept the name I just thought it, looked, it sounded quite authoritative you know and made me sound a bit better than perhaps I am so I kept it yeah I just kept the old uh, El Capitano kind of tagline on Twitter. Uh, so, so, so you've not had to relinquish that then? Well I did change it to ex Capitano for a little bit because Sean complained that I was still El Capitano and then I just changed it back after after a while. <laughs> Just didn't tell him. <laughs> Fantastic. Brilliant. So, yes, it wasn't the kind of the role you anticipated or expected. No, no. I just, I, I think it was, I don't know, when I took the role on, I thought um, I'd do a great job and I'd get everybody motivated. And I did all right for the first race and then I kind of just got wrapped up in my own kind of running and uh, I just neglected everybody else, I think. <laughs> and they were like, you're rubbish, you captain. So, you know, you gonna you have to step down. I think I got forced out. So that's when I just, <laughs> in a very, in a very like nice way, you know, we, we st- we're still friends, <laughs> and I still run for the club. Yeah, so I just um, I just got sidelined. There wasn't any kind of letters being written and kind of votes and no confidence being passed. No, I, I, I got out before then. I woke up with a horse's head in the bed, and then I thought, you know, that's probably <laughs> time to leave. You know, yeah, I'm <laughs> time glad to step that still down. Happens in Yorkshire. I'm just glad that that tradition yeah, is yeah. still being done. <laughs> so yeah, so we've invited you on tonight. So you are. Um, a fell runner and a mountain runner and um, so if you could describe to me those who are joining us this evening who haven't um, done any fell running or don't understand you know maybe people have if I can do the old cliche fallen over so they have had a fall so done a fell well running so that's a terrible that's terrible. terrible yeah this is why I'm not <laughs> on the comedy circuit um, but could you yeah, kind of shows what you feel is the difference between like a, a fell race or a fe- doing fell running compared to a trail race or even maybe a mountain race and, and then maybe an open and ultra marathon 
Yeah, so, I mean, fell running for me, um, it's, it's kind of the first thing that I got into, really, when I, I, I became an off-road runner. And that was purely, really, down to the fact that I'm, I'm sort of born and bred in Yorkshire, and it's, it's a real northern sport in that respect, because anybody in the Peak District, the Yorkshire Dales, the Lake District, Scotland, Wales, north of Wales, you're kind of born in and around the mountains um, and the hills of, you know, Britain, and it's... It's very specific to, to our country, really. When I say our country, I mean I do mean Great Britain by that. Um, because of the terrain, um, because of the features, um, fell running for me is is kind of a, a sport that we should be really proud of because it doesn't happen everywhere in the world. Um, and it, you know, it's as I said, it's very specific to where we, we are from. But it, it, often you're running over terrain that's really gnarly. Perhaps sometimes it's not pathed or marked. Um, and I kind of like that because it's not always the best athlete that wins you know it's not always the fastest person on the day you've got to have a little bit of mountain craft about you you've got to be able to kind of navigate um also you know find your way and be good on that kind of terrain so it's really for me the the purest form of off-road running um as opposed to kind of trail running where you are running often on hard pack trails things you know races are marked you mm-hmm. Mostly know where you're going because there's signposts or, you know, you, you can always find your way back to safety. There's a bit more risk, I think, involved in fell running. And then mountain running is more of a, I'd say, probably a European and kind of world sport that's recognised where you will literally run to the top of mountains, again, on kind of hard pack tracks, um, where you're not necessarily going off piste, as it were, like you w- would be in fell running. So it's, it's really unique and I think there's a real charm to fell running it's very basic and raw which i which i love and it's what i've grown up with so naturally i just kind of fell into it sorry for the fun every time we get every time we get I put that one down so i could read it out oh, yeah, perfect. You've done it. It. Yeah. ripped it already <laughs> been working on my kind of fell running well, we've already got some of your fan club i think joining us so uh antonio uh, both of them, both said, of them have joined, yeah. All, all my fan club, both, both people. <laughs> You've got bigger fan club. Says what a fantastic, or oh, him, Antonio. Antonio says what a fantastic fellow runner Ben is. Oh, if it's, if it's Antonio that, that does many of the races that I do, he's a great bloke. I love Antonio. Yeah, he's he's fantastic. He's a he's a real role model for the sport. To be honest, he's everything that I love about fell running. So yeah, big up Antonio. But this is what I do love about can, kind of fell running, and I want to get into kind of hearing how you got into fell running. But from my experience of having done some fell races, it is such a wonderful, friendly kind of group of people there's such a real sense of kind of warmth and encouragement um and the atmosphere at races are really friendly you know the clubs are really kind of friendly you know for some people it might seem a bit of an extreme type of running because like you're saying you know it's kind of pathless and need a bit of navigation and it can be quite tough but the people partaking in it are just genuinely really friendly and there's a real good banter and respect for each other as well isn't it from the person at the front right to the back of at the race as well definitely i mean that's one of the main reasons why i love it so much and that camaraderie as you said uh, everybody wants you know to do well personally but also you want other people to do well and i find myself sometimes really wanting other people from other clubs to to kind of win races sometimes and and also you help each other on the course uh, you know if you're racing against each other you might form a little group together help each other navigate and i'll be honest if i'm ever in a race and somebody went the wrong direction 
nine times out of ten, unless I'm like right at the very front, I'll probably call them back and get them to go the right way because that's how it is. You know, you want it you want it to be a level playing field, and you want people to to do well. And if somebody turned their ankle, for example, you'd stop and you'd help them. And then after the race, you can all go to the pub for a pint, and you can be sat next to Ian Holmes, who's the, you know the legend of fell running. And then on the other side, you might have somebody who finished last in the race, and nobody's bothered. You know. I think really where you're finishing the race is secondary to just taking part and enjoying it and having fun and um, and and just enjoying the atmosphere and, and the course. It's a, it's about you know mastering the course rather than beating other people. For me, it's um, it's about it's kind of a, a shared um, thing that you're doing really and a shared experience and it's 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 wonderful. It's a fantastic sport. Yeah. And pretty cheap compared to some of the races outside of fell running. I mean, there's not many trail races you can rock up and um, pay a fiver. <laughs> <laughs> exactly so you know some of the races are like two quid or they used to be and, mm. and in some cases they might even be free so yeah it's brilliant favorite words free obviously <laughs> so, <laughs> cheaper the better yeah and then you can win some like fantastic prizes like i remember um kevin shand who's like a, just a really um great bloke who organizes a lot of races um around kind of yorkshire and lancashire he organizes the blackstone um edge fell race and uh, if you win that race, I think I came second once. You, you win things like packs of toilet rolls and whatever he's got in his house at the time. So you, you end up going home with like just random things, and that that really is um, you know part and parcel of fell running. The fact that you're not running for huge amounts of money, um, and and therefore I think it, it just keeps everybody on a level playing field and like grounded, you know, because you, you, there's no drugs in the sport because there's no money in the sport. And, <laughs> Well, I don't know if it's nice, but you know, there's there's nothing other than um, toilet roll really to run for. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's no, like baskets of fruit at some local. Yeah. I think we got ten pound voucher at one. That was quite good. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, yeah. If you win like a Pete Bland voucher, for example, or a sports shoes voucher, you've you've won. It's brilliant. I think yeah. they got a good one there. That's yeah, our local yeah. one. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great race. You know, I mean, I, I've been around kind of various different disciplines of kind of running from track racing. To marathon but Valron is kind of definitely have got the edge when it comes to drinking post race <laughs> i have to say i have never known a group of runners or people <laughs> who can do a flat out kind of hour and a half race and then go straight to the pub and be knocking down pints i remember doing a race against jebby once rob jeb and yeah he was like front of the bar and i'm just like i, I was thinking i was sipping some orange juice because otherwise i would have been <laughs> Flat on, flat on my back, um, but I am super impressed uh, with the drinking abilities of many. I don't, you know, it's not. I think you don't, you know, you don't have to be able to, to do that as a farmer. But that was one of my things I remember when some summer evening races or coming up to Yorkshire Downs and doing races. Just like, wow, yeah, maybe I need to up my game here a little bit. Bit of a. Oh, Definitely. I mean, Jebby's not only like the you know a legend of the sport, and like he's been at the pinnacle of the sport. He's also the, the you know the first to start the drinking uh, before and after the race. Sometimes <laughs> you know if we go to Ireland, he's he's always the first to have a pint. Um, he's always the first to take his top off at a fell running dinner and get on the dance floor and just go mad. He, yeah, he's just a great bloke all round. He's you know if you if you look up fell running in the dictionary, I think Rob Jeb would probably his name would appear first. I think <laughs> he's he's a fantastic character, and yeah, he's. I mean, you're right. That I think the, the kind of post-race and pre-race kind of atmosphere is brilliant. You know, the fact you can all rush to the pub after after you've done a race. Everybody's, you know, always always in, up for a for a pint afterwards to celebrate, no matter what the result is. Yeah. And in the Peak District, I'm guessing it's the same in other places. It's like 
I mean, my dad was a foul runner, so we used to go to races with him. And it was like you had in summer, there's a midweek ones, there's weekend ones. Like it's every few days that you're doing these races. Um, and it's just the same people <laughs> there the whole time, like proper family, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, whichever race you turn up to in this country, you're going to see Darren Fishwick anyway, because he goes to every race. Um, but there are times, I remember... A few years ago, it was like sort of May bank holiday. In fact, it was this kind of time where I did a race Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And by the Monday, I was like literally crawling. Like I, I just had nothing left in the tank, but I'd kind of raced hard every single day. Oh, I thought that was because of just, the drinking, not the racing. Yeah, well, that as well. You know, there was a bit of drinking in, in between as well. So, yeah, by the time I got to Monday, I was ready for another bank holiday just to recover. And I think I remember going to work on the Tuesday like a wreck, you know, and I was four days off. Um but yeah, sometimes the races come thick and fast, and then obviously, yeah, after the race, you might have a few pints as well. So you almost need a, a rest day, you know, before you go back to work. <laughs> we have got people who are joining us live on YouTube, so it's great to have them. And um, we've already had one question come in um, from from Becky Hunt, and uh, see if you can answer um, this question for us, Ben. So can you read it? I've not got the glasses. On. <laughs> Oh, yeah, read the question mark. <laughs> so Becky Hunt asked, to be classed as a foul run, does it have to be in Yorkshire, Lancashire, etc., or could we have a foul run in Devon? And somebody else has commented about Cheddar Gorge, would that class as one? I mean, are there hard and fast rules as to what we can call a foul race? They are really good questions, actually. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think, I think to be honest, um, you, you could put a fell race on in pretty much anywhere in England, providing you've got enough enough ascent and enough hill. And, and what in, is in that kind of terrain. <laughs> yeah, so all the races are, are graded. Um, you've, you've got kind of um, short, medium, long races, and then you've got like really difficult races, um, which could be like, you know, like a long Lakeland Classic, and then you've got sort of quite, quite easy races as well, with not too much ascent, and, and maybe it's... Um, kind of you know something that would suit a beginner perhaps coming into the sport so every race is graded so you've got typically got something like an as which would be category a short race which would be something in the english championship which would be pretty savage you know you're straight up and straight down for example over kind of four or five miles so every race has got a grading um and then you can pick a race to suit you if, you, if you're kind of coming into sport and you don't want to overface yourself straight away by looking at the grading of the race and all this information is available on the fell running uh, website so it's fellrunner.org.uk and there are races all over the country so right down to the south coast um, which is pleasing to know um, to the very very north um, so obviously there's more fell racing in Yorkshire and in the Lake District because that's where the majority of the kind of race routes are um, and there's an abundance of kind of routes you can you can do um, you know as a race or just to practice um, but yeah there are, there are races right down to the south coast so to answer the question is yes um, but just not as many and <laughs> probably, uh, so it'd probably be a good one to start with really and then I think going back to the question about the difference between fell and trail running you probably find a lot more trail running down south because um, you know you're not necessarily going to have that that terrain that would I suppose be classed as a fell race um, so, yeah, that's where, where the trail races would come in. But sometimes you, you might get a race, like in Scotland, for example, I did I did this trail race in Scotland, which was like the, a fell race, basically. <laughs> so the, the boundaries are kind of merging. Uh, there is grey areas sometimes. You know, what somebody might class as a trail race might actually be more like a fell race. So depending on where you are in the country, um, does depend on the severity of the route, I would say. But, yeah, the answer is yes, you, you can have a race down south, down that way. Yeah, yeah. When, I, when I was in Bristol Orienteering Club, we used to do a fell race down on the Mendips. 
Um, I can't remember its name now, but yeah, there are one or two fell races around on, on the Shadow Gorge area, on the Mendips. But yeah, they're not different. You know, as you say, the course is just very different to, to what you get in the Lake District or Scotland. So, how, so you, you briefly mentioned there that you, you well, earlier on that you started from a young age because you know it seemed a natural thing being in Yorkshire. So how did you end up kind of falling in love and getting into fell running? Were you running at school? Were you good at PE? Was it something you always enjoyed doing? Yeah, so I, I grew up on a farm um, in Yorkshire and um, I used to kind of just run to keep fit. So when I say I've been doing it from an early age, not, not actually competing from an early age, just kind of running around, you know, up and down fields because I lived on top of a hill um, in West Yorkshire. On, on the farm and I was a footballer for, for most most of the time and I did like kind of a bit of cross country at school but I was never like massively into running and then I got into cycling at university I went to Loughborough and now joined the cycling team for a few years and then came back and when I was about 21 22 um, I just started running to work and the reason I started running to work was because it was quicker than catching the bus not not that I was that fast it was just that the bus used to go through a place called Sorby Bridge near Halifax and it was just like a bottleneck for traffic so it would take forever to get to Halifax to where I was working so I could run in quicker um, and I used to just do that you know a few times a week and then somebody said oh why don't you try cross country and then pretty soon I'd entered a fell race um, and I just loved it because I found it exhilarating you know you, it was kind of a there are no rules in this you know you can it's first to the top and then back down again and you can go any direction you want to a certain extent um, I mean it was obviously marked in some parts you couldn't just go totally off piece but you know there were there was places where you could kind of just go straight down a hill at like 100 mile an hour and it, it felt, certainly felt like that and at the end of it it was just like wow what have I just done it's like it's, it's a crazy kind of sport but it had a real charm to it and I, I just found myself getting addicted to it pretty quickly so I just I kind of did all the local races for a few years then the championship races so I got to a point where then I just started to look for something different a new challenge and that's when I kind of started doing a few more things abroad then um, but my heart is still you know in Yorkshire and in Felwyn and in the Lake District as well and kind of the, the roots are still there you know I still do enjoy a good fell race. And which was the first fell race that you did can you remember? Yeah let me think what would it have been? Um, yeah, looking back, I think it might have been Shepherd's Skyline, which was a local fell race um, in the Calder Valley, who I run for. So, yeah, it's up to, to Studley Pike um, oh. and back down again. It's a fantastic race. It's, it remains one of my favourite races. It's seven miles. It's kind of a, a straight up and, and down again, but with another little up in between. Um, so if anybody kind of wants to try a fell race, I would say something like the Shepherd's Skyline is a great way to start because it's not too long. Um the, the hills the, are pretty runnable, the climbs, um, and it's got a bit of everything. So that would be a perfect start for anybody thinking about getting into the sport. Brilliant. And this ties really quite nicely. So we've had another question. We've got quite a few questions coming yeah, up. Yeah, we're getting quite really a good. lot. So the um, one from Philip. Uh, well, no, oh. well, well, that, well, that one's almost <laughs> going to Warner Roses. I think we need to kind of let that kind of, that's kind of, well, okay, we might have mentioned Philip. Let's get, let's, I mean, let's, we're going to the Warner Roses here. He Where is best place to fell run? Yorkshire or Lancashire? I mean, we haven't even got the Peak District in there, have we? I mean... <laughs> Philip, come on. Do you need to answer that? You know, <laughs> oh, oh, my goodness well, me. You know, I, mean, it, it, well, I think, I think it, we'll just we'll move swiftly on from that one. That, that really yeah, doesn't I, mean... Yeah, it, could be, it could be a biased answer. I mean, I, I'm sort of... Um, I'm based in Threshfield near Grassington, and it's five miles to Mallon, and like anything right round by me is just heaven you know so i think i'd probably give a biased answer <laughs> i think we know okay, what i'd so say we'll get on to the next question. <laughs> but it is interesting i mean 
well, yeah, I think probably what Phil was asking is the differences in the terrain. So like, like Jan was saying, even the Peak District, yeah, the foul races are very, very different, aren't they, to where they're being held. So the Lakeland foul races, you know, I remember going to see my first ever Lakeland foul races and almost like being blown away having done foul races in the Peak District before because the ascent ups and down the Peak District are a lot shorter than like you get in the Peak, you know, in the Lake District, they're far more mountainous, aren't they? So it is interesting how the different foul races feel and what they're like depending on the region they're in as well yeah it is a really good question to be fair and I, I, actually i would say that kind of yorkshire and lancashire are very similar um i mean i'm not actually that far from the border of lancashire uh, to be honest i don't often cross over <laughs> um, and if i do i make it quick um but no jokes aside like they are very very similar and i'd say actually the peak district is probably quite similar in many respects because th- we've got the same kind of hills and the same kind of ascent so when i come down to the peaks i feel like i can kind of run down there quite well. Um, whereas when I go to the Lake District, for example, or North Wales or Scotland, or even Ireland in the more mountains, you're kind of in like bigger kind of stuff. So it is different again, you know, it's, it's a lot rockier in, in the lakes, for example, mm. um, the terrain's different. Um, but I do tend to get up there quite a bit because I'm not that far from the lakes either. So I do do quite a lot of running in the Lake District, you know, pre-COVID obviously. Um, but yeah, it's a good question is that. And I would say, if I had to choose somewhere to do a fell race, apart from Yorkshire, it would be the Lake District. I do love the Lake District. Um, but we've also got this series. Um, I mean, it is a British series. It's called the Boffra Championship, which is the British Open Fell Running Association. Yeah. But most of the races are in uh, the Yorkshire Dales. I mean, it does extend, obviously, to the lakes and to Scotland and to all around uh, Britain. But the majority are actually within about a 10-mile radius of where I live. And those kind of races are just straight up and straight down. They are insane. It's like a, it's like on another level. It's kind of like fell running on on acid, <laughs> if I had to describe it. It's like I'll give you an example. Um, the Kilnsey Show, which is one of my local fell races, it's it's about um, f- uh, five minutes drive down the road from me, and it starts from the show field. The race is about just over a mile, I think it is, in, in distance. And you come out of the show field on the flat, you're straight up onto the fell, you're jumping over walls, you're scrambling up kind of loose rock to get to kind of the summit. And then you are coming down something called what, uh, the chimney, which is basically something that you'd probably climb on with a rope, but you just straight down it. You know, there's people, bodies falling everywhere, and you've got to kind of hang onto a fence to, to get down. And some people wear gloves so they don't rip their hands open. And it is the most gnarliest descent I've probably ever done apart from going abroad um, and then by the time you've, you've finished you, you kind of sat at the, on the finish line just completely out of breath completely knackered and you're thinking what has just happened it's like <laughs> minutes of my life where I've just gone all out and there's no break there's no kind of easing into it you're just sprinting from the, the word go and that is a real experience and I love those kind of races I must admit and that's that all within a, one mile <laughs> All within one mile, it's got everything. <laughs> so Kenny Stewart's got the um, got the the record, I think. And actually, and we've got a um, a question from Anne who says, "Have you ever had a serious fall during a fell race?" <laughs> yeah, I, I fall like all the time, but I, most of the time, actually, if I, if I fall at pace, like if I'm descending, that's when it usually happens. I do kind of bounce straight back up. I tend to find my worst injuries are when I'm being really tentative. Mm. And I remember once um, I was. 
it, it was back when I was living in West Yorkshire and I, I went on this kind of 10 mile run and it was really icy. Um, it was it snowed as well and I'd gone off onto the open fell and done this like quite gnarly route, came down and I slipped um, as I was coming back home on the pavement just like outside my house and I was thinking, how have I managed to do like that, that route and then just fall here like outside my pavement on probably the safest part of the, the route. But I was being really tentative then and uh, actually when, when you're kind of running down at pace, um, it's, it's in some ways it's it's a lot safer because um, it's more natural. You're not fighting the gradient, and as I said, if you if you fall, you kind of bounce back up again. Not always, but yeah, I've had some pretty bad injuries, and probably the worst injury I've had was descending. Um, and I've done this a couple of times, and I've done this at Snowdon as well. It's it's kind of when you're descending at pace over a long period of time, and the weather's hot. I've ripped the the bottom of my heels like clean off my feet before, and I'm talking like you know a few centimeters deep, uh, and kind of like I don't know about like that much of your of your heel. So you literally I know when I've done it as well, it's awful. And that's why I did it at UCMB. That's no, why you got a little bit you did not yeah. <laughs> do that. And, it, and it's awful and you've got to take weeks out, but you know you've done it because it is probably the most painful thing you'll ever do in terms of your feet or apart from breaking something. But yeah, UTMB would be a classic example of that because you you know you you're doing some big descents, your, your feet are hot and it's all that movement in your feet and when it goes it, it's just it's awful. So if you manage to do that, Marcus, and finish you ten B. No, I didn't. I didn't manage to fit. I thought I had a stone in my shoe and kept checking, and it was only until I got to Le Con- uh, past Lecontamintat I had it checked out, and it was a, it was a big blister. But anyway, we're not here to talk about my UTMB or to go down blister gate once again. Talking about the kind of up and down, Nick Charles has asked, asked a great question. I think this is brilliant to kind of getting into. You know, so people are thinking about. You know, I fancy having a go at racing. You know, maybe, like you're saying, going on to the Fell Running uh, website, just typing on Google Fell Running UK, and it'll take you to the website. And there's all the races. And some of the races are starting back, aren't they? There are going to be some of the yeah, races coming back. Yeah, it's good to see the Fell races coming back now, definitely. And I think the Fell Runner is probably the, the go-to point. I mean, if you if you join the, the FRA, you get the handbook at the start of the year, which mm-hmm. gives you all the races. I mean, this year it was basically just a, a like like a sheet of A4, it was just like that folded. <laughs> and you open it up and there were, there were no races in there, I would say. So this year is a, is a, is a bit of um, an odd one, really. But usually you would get a booklet and it would give you the full handbook of the races mm-hmm. and all the information about, you know, the profile of the race, um, the, the distance, the length. And that's the key thing to look at. You know, as I mentioned before, each race is rated. So if, you, if you're just coming into Felwyn for the first time, try and avoid the category A races um, or maybe start on something short, for example, um, and build your way in maybe start with something fairly local and low-key um, or maybe even start with the trail race actually if you've never done off-road before and then just kind of ease your way in and, and ask for advice as well because the, you know there's the fellow in forum um, where people are quite open to and happy to, to, to discuss any questions that people have got and answer questions that people have got and give recommendations so the community of fellow is fantastic it's really supportive dead encouraging um and really helpful, you know, if, you know, if you need to know something about, um, you know, where to go, what to do, uh, how to get into running, ask the right questions and people always give you an answer. They're a dead friendly bunch. Um, but, yeah, that's the best place to go. The website, join the FRA. It's not much, actually, for a, for a yearly membership. Um, and you'll have all the information you need. It's, yeah, Oops. great resource. Okay. Somebody signed up. So if somebody's thinking about it, so Nick Charles uh, has asked... Is it better yeah. to be good at running uphill or downhill? What do you think? Oh, what a great are? question! Yeah, <laughs> well, 
there are uphill races and there are just downhill races as well. So I suppose in, in, in those races, it would be better to be good at uphill if you're doing uphill only. But I, I would say both. I know that sounds like um, the obvious answer. Um, but if I had to pick one, I'd probably say uphill. I think you can... Yeah, it's a difficult one. It, it all does depend on the race as well, because I've been in races before, and I'll give you a typical example. And I'll give you an example. Actually, we've mentioned it before. Rob Jeb is probably, without doubt, the, the best climber in the country. And he's in his 40s now. He's amazing. You know, do a race with Rob Jeb. I, I can't stay with him on the hills. You just have to watch him go because he's a machine. Um, but I can guarantee that if I'm anywhere near him, which usually I'm not anywhere near him at the top, um, I can catch him on the down because I'm better at the down than he is, um, but he's much better at the climbing than me. Um, but he usually beats me. So I would say that probably if I could choose a, a special power, it would be going uphill. Unfortunately, I'm blessed with the powers of the downhill. Um, you, so I have to work very hard on the uphill. But no, but both. It's better both, to just um, be Jebby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, Jebby's just a phenomenon, isn't and do it? Do you um, do any specific training for your uphill and downhill? Do you work on your technique? Is there lots of reps involved? Yes. So, um, I mean, Prior to this year, I, I just kind of made it up, if I'm, if I'm completely honest. And what I used to do is um, I'd, I'd think about the race that was important to me. So, for example, let's pick Shepherd Skyline because I've already mentioned it. And I'd think about the profile for that race. And the first thing I'd do is I'd practice that course. And then I'd, um, if, if it was accessible, you know, if it's, if it's a race you're going to do that's quite far away, obviously you can't do that. But you can look at the profile and think about the um, severity of the climbs, the length of the climbs and also the descents. And you can kind of break it into sections and train for, for those those um, like sections as well. So you, if it's got, you know, really steep climbing, you should you should rep steep. That's That was my chain of thought for all this. I'd also... Um, do just loads of reps and I got quite obsessive with the hill reps so I came up with this really um like I suppose it's a famous session in West Yorkshire called Trooper Lane um and I did the Ben 10 so it was basically three miles to the bottom of Trooper Lane which is the longest hill in Halifax and then I'd rep it 10 times and it's half a mile up and half a mile down so I'd end up you know like just basically spending about two and a half hours on a hill session and I did that a few times every every like week or two weeks I'd just do that or maybe do three reps or five reps and I just found that like I just massively improved my, my hill running but then I'd also do other hills as well that were different gradients different lengths um, and that was kind of my approach to it so I'd kind of mimic what I needed to do in a race but also just make it up and just kind of throw loads of hills in because I knew that that was my weakness um, but now I've just started working with a coach uh, this year Sarah McCormack Mm-hmm. and she's she's been coaching me so she gives me my sessions now and it's been really interesting to kind of see what I was doing wrong before and I was probably overtraining more often than not but also some weeks under training um so I've kind of got that balance now and the, the hill sessions have been really interesting because I'm doing lots of different stuff like tonight for example I was doing um really short bursts of speed uphill so I was doing like 10 second and 20 second um reps with a two-minute recovery, which doesn't actually seem that hard, and I can't quite like doing those reps because they're over pretty quickly. But you go in full throttle for, for that, that kind of time, and then I'll do some reps where I might do like a three-minute on and a, you know two-minute off, or I might do like a ten-minute on on different types of hills. So she's got me doing like a massive variety of, of stuff, and it's quite nice that she does that thinking for me, and it's taken that it's kind of taken that thinking away from. I'd have to. I'd have to. Um, consider what I'm doing week in week out because she knows my long-term goals and she she can plan it for me so it's really good but yeah I, I would say if anybody is thinking about training for something in particular 
probably the advice I've just given you, think about what it is you, you, you're training for, look at the hills that you, you're trying to cover, look at the terrain, uh, the distance overall, and train specifically for that. But hills are all good, you know, vary it up, mix it up. And, well, Jordan's uh, got a question, well, Jordan Henry, that says, what's the best way to train for hills if you don't have many near? <laughs> but I'm guessing ah, well, like yeah. you were training for some big mountain races when you weren't yeah. necessarily living in the mountains. So what happens if you don't have the right hill? Well, you do 20, you do 20 <laughs> bends, don't you? Well, exactly. Don't you? And that, that is a really good question. And actually, it follows on from what I was saying about true plane, because that was the reason I did 10 uh, bend tens, because it was about um, 4,000 foot, maybe a bit more, actually, because each each rep was was pretty savage. Um, and it was it was like gnarly, but it, it, it didn't last as long as something in the Lake District. So what I was essentially doing is I was training for the Lake District races and the European races, but on my hill, which didn't replicate that as, as one hill, but as 10, it, it did. Um, and that was the way to do it. So you've just got to rep. Yeah, that's the only way to do it, really. And just do more of what you've got. <laughs> So even if you've got small hills, just do lots of the small hills. Just yeah, do lots, do lots of the small hills, yeah. And I've got one actually close by called El Bolton, which is nothing of a hill, really. It's really short, but really steep. And I quite like going up it from different angles. So you can kind of go up and down, but never do the same rep um, each time. But if that makes sense, so you yeah. always get to the same place. But just I just go down a different way and come up a different way. It's, it's really nice that I just go around, I just sort of traverse around it, which is pretty cool. Brilliant. So you're being creative with your training and just yeah, definitely. And then I did this this other one that was my favourite was a, like a pyramid session. So it was a shorter hill than Trupolane. And what I'd do is I'd start at the bottom and then I'd run to the first lamppost and back, then the second lamppost and back, the third and back. And actually, somebody whoever put the lamppost in did a great job of like spacing them evenly. <laughs> I didn't measure them, so that was brilliant. So. <laughs> When I got to the top, I then worked my way back down, and that was brilliant because it took all the, the thinking out of it for me. I just turned when I got to lamppost. It was great, yeah. And then I had to remember which lamppost I got to last, so that that was that kept me going. So keeping the confidence like, going, yeah. Yeah, and then most of the time, just if you get bored during a run, I just think of what I'm going to call my run. That's what 80% of my runs uh, I do when I, th I think about bad, something. Just think, that's for Strava, yeah. Always for Strava, yeah. So I'm thinking about like a catchy name for it. Uh, I could I could never just call it evening run or afternoon run or morning run. That'd be like sacrilege. I have to name the run. Um, so I always try and come up with something like witty. Usually it's just something I laugh at. It's not that funny, but um, <laughs> yeah, usually it's it's got to be something. It's like a pun or something like that. So I think one of my favourite ones was um, I, I did this run once, and it's not funny by the way, but I've probably built this up now. Uh, I, I was just r constantly running into the wind, so I called it Headwind Van der Sar. That was when he used to. He was the Edwin Van der Sar was the keeper for Man United, uh, and I just thought that was really. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> a few people laugh on Strava but yeah that's the kind of thing that goes on in my mind it's either what am I going to have for my tea and what am I going to call my room yeah and how many reps have I done and where did they which yeah, course yeah, did they just get three to? things almost like oh no, but, oh no but I can't remember how many reps I've done but I got a catchy name so <laughs> <laughs> a tenant or a kind of a, you know momentum um, because I'm not what I'm up to so can, um, anyway yeah, I, I've, I've got a question up. so we've got so we're talking about uphill there um, and from my experience uh, of foul races, there is also the ninja black art. So you say like you say Jeb is not a good descender. I've raced against Jeb. Jeb, he is. It's still a good descender, but I'm not. Yeah. I'm not the world's best descender as a as a kind of a you know I'm more of a trail kind of very kind of comfortable mountain runner. But that's not my strong point. And I've raced against Ian Holmes as well. 
And you mentioned Ian Holmes right at the start. Um, boy, that boy. He can descend. You know, it's almost like he has got something going on in his brain, his prefrontal cortex or something. or his He has no fear to come downhill, does he? Is that oh. such an important skill to be developing for fellow running as well? Because if, because you know, is that like you were saying earlier, that fall you had was because of being tensed up. So when we're coming to descending, how can we then start training for being confident and strong on those kind of descents? Yeah, I mean, Ian Holmes is, is the benchmark of descending. He's just incredible. I mean, he's, he's got this record in Italy um, at the uh, Trophy of Vanoni Fell Race, sorry, Mountain Race, which is uh, got a picture. famous really. You, you, you went and did it a few years ago, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I did it a few years ago, and I had a really good run the first time I did it. I've got Actually, I've got gradually slower every time I've done it. Um, but the first time I did it, I had a fantastic run, and I, 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 was, I think I was the quickest or second quickest on the descent. I was second overall. But Ian Holmes has got the record for the descent, like, end of forever, like, amen, by quite some way. And I think I was, there's only three people that have ever gone under kind of a, a certain time. Um, I think it's under nine minutes or something from Great Britain. And I, I am one of them. And that's kind of my, one of my, I should put that on my bio, really, because that's one of my proudest achievements. But I'm still nowhere near Holmesy, because um, he is just incredible. Um, and I think part of being a good descender is, there is some natural, I would I would say ability in there as well, but also it's a mental thing. So I think it's a combination of confidence um, and also how well you, you cope with the terrain and tackle the terrain and how good you are on the terrain. But you can improve all of that, including your confidence. So the first thing I would do if, you, if you're starting out on, on kind of fell running and you want to improve your descending, I would just practice on short sections, first of all, um, and practice just running downhill. Uh, so, you, you know, it's terrain that you, you're not going to kind of fall over. It's not particularly rocky or gnarly. You're just kind of getting used to running at pace. I, I try that first of all. And then I try and concentrate on footwork. So fast feet. Um, and also what you need to think about is when you, you're coming down on a, on a hill, if it's kind of runnable, and when I say runnable, it may, maybe it's kind of, I'm going to do that with my hand. If it's kind of that steep as opposed to that steep, yeah. You can kind of lean, lean forward a little bit and, you know, let the momentum take you and don't break and kind of go with the flow um, almost, you know, let, let gravity take you down. Whereas when it starts to get further up and steeper, you might change your body position slightly. So I, I tend to lean back a little bit more if it's steeper. And if it's steeper, it generally tends to be a lot more gnarly underfoot um, and the terrain then changes quite quickly. So you might be running on scree or over rocks, that kind of thing. And that's the thing that really takes um, – the time out of people uh, and that's that takes practice in itself as well so once you once you've started on the easy kind of stuff move up to increasing that distance so go down bigger hills um, and try and go down different types of terrain and what you'll also do is you'll you'll learn how to um, step on the terrain and what kind of grip it's going to give you um, so if you're running on grass and it's been raining you'll know which bits to go on and you might try and avoid certain sections because you'll know that there's a little bit of give in the ground. So it's all about experience and it's all about practice. And when I'm looking at a downhill route and I'm in a race, I already know where I'm going to put my feet because I know what grip I'm going to get from different um, parts of the terrain and by the conditions and, and kind of running over that sort of thing before. Um, I'll know where I'm going to place my feet because I'm, I'm looking not at my feet. I'm looking to sort of maybe like a snooker player, like who's six shots in front of the, the shot he's on. I'm looking six steps in front of where I'm going to be. 
So I'm not looking down, I'm looking kind of in front of me and I, I know where I'm going to place my feet. But all that kind of comes from confidence and experience and that's ultimately what I'm trying to say. You've got to just practice and start slowly, build up different terrains, different distances, different types of gradients and eventually, eventually you'll become a better runner. But you do need to practice the descent. You know, if it's something you're not good at, like I'm not good at climbing, I have to practice the uphill. You've got to practice the down as well. And and it's good to get your, your legs used to running at that kind of pace as well over that, that terrain. And also, like we were saying before, if you go into the Lake District where you've got long descents and you don't necessarily have long descents at home, you might need to rep them. You know, if you if you're training for a particular race, like I'm training for Ennerdale and there's some savage descents, I'm going to have to really get my legs into shape ready for those descents because that's what takes all the you know, the energy out of your legs as much as the climbing is, you know, Marcus and Jen, you know, when you're coming downhill at pace, it, it really hammers your legs. Yeah. And over a period of time, it's, it saps that energy. But, but as, as you say, it's that specificity, isn't it? And knowing what your strengths and weaknesses are. And so, you know, <clears throat> if you know descending is always your weakness, but you're very good at running uphill, then yeah, take some time out and do some downhill sessions you know practice yeah. it rather than always being like oh i'm no good at descending same in even even in the ultra running community when we're working with athletes training for things like utmb and even the dragon's back you know athletes saying oh, i'm rubbish at descending it's like right well we're going to do a downhill session rather than doing an uphill session let's flip the session around and actually focus on working on that descending and and yeah it's also developing that confidence that mindset isn't it it's such an important thing interesting you touched there on about trusting that the, the shoe so kind of a grippiness so if we were kind of going to kind of go into the fell running and we've been maybe doing our local park run do what do i need some special kit do i need to go to my local running shop do i need to go to peat plans and go and go and do a fell race or can i just kind of rock up in my kind of um kind of nike four percenters is, is, is that going to be fine? Yeah, Not I'd, I'd, I'd probably leave the uh, the Nike Next Sense at home, definitely. <laughs> but I think if you are sort of coming into sport, and I, I appreciate now that because I've worked for Sports Shoes for a number of years, and um, and within you know my work with Innovate as well as an ambassador for them, shoes are expensive and kit is expensive, and it's getting more expensive. So you can't just go out and buy you know not everybody can go out and buy the latest shoe or a shoe for everything i think if you're just getting into sport you need a shoe that's going to kind of tackle and cope with a range of things so um i would get like a good grippy trail shoe initially that's going to let you kind of run on the, the softer trails and perhaps the easier kind of terrain and then maybe venture into the, the fell running and then if you get into it more seriously you can you can buy a more specific shoe because fell running if you are taking it seriously and you want to do well you do need a specific shoe and you need something that's good on the soft ground ultimately um, because that's a lot of what you're going to be going over but also something that's going to be good on the rocky stuff as well so if you go into the lake district you're going to get that real mix of terrain um same in the peaks same in the in the, in the dales so you're going to be going over kind of boggy ground, uh, you know, grass, mud. Then there's going to be rocks and then sometimes it's going to be slippy, especially if it's going to be wet. So the thing I would look for in, in a fell shoe, most of all for me, the most important thing is grip. Um, and also the fit is important for me as well and the weight. So I tend to race in like a lightweight shoe um, because obviously I'm not carrying as much weight. Something that drains pretty well. Um, something that's got enough protection that's going to get me through a race. But ultimately that grip that's going to grip to everything. Um, like a, an, an innovate cross talon, for example, to, uh, 210. That's what That would be my go-to race shoe for a short distance race. And then if it's something longer... 
I might get something with a bit more protection and a bit more support for those distances. But I would, I do, I'm in a very fortunate position to, to own quite a lot of shoes. So I would pick a shoe for a very particular specific race. Um, and I look at what the weather's doing. I look at what the terrain's going to be like. Um, I sometimes take like three or four pairs of shoes with me to a race because uh, it can change quite often, as you know, uh, conditions in this country. And I'll, I'll decide when I'm warming up. I might warm up in a couple of shoes and uh, make a decision. But yeah, I think the, the, the shoe I race in the most is probably something like a cross talon. Mm -hmm. uh, but then I, again, I would only race in that shoe. I, I don't use it for training because it's something that I would probably wear down a lot quicker than uh, other shoes because it's, it's it's a minimalistic shoe built for, for racing and and also another thing to consider is that the amount of kind of cushioning and supporting a fell shoe is very minimal because i like to feel the ground um but you know with that you, you have to sacrifice a lot of the cushioning and, and, and kind of protection underfoot. Um, so there's that to consider as well. And that's something that needs practice as well. You can't just go straight into wearing a fell shoe. I think I would recommend easing your way in, you know, a bit like kind of barefoot running, you know, a few years ago became a massive thing. Like you can't just go straight into barefoot running. You've just got to ease your way in. Uh, and that's the best thing to do. Practice like you would practice hills and downhill. And so, I mean, in ultra running, we specialise in, we sometimes say you want like half a size bigger to let your feet expand. So with a fell running shoe, do you want it a bit snugger fit so you're not getting that movement? Because if you're going downhill, you won't want your toes moving about a lot, would you? Yeah, that is a brilliant point, actually, Marcus, because um, I would also go half size up for ultra running. Not that I do a lot of ultra running. <laughs> my, my, uh, my ultra running experience, I could put on, a, on a, a postage stamp, I think. But yeah, I know your feet swell over time, don't they? Especially when you, you know, you, you kind of running for that, that distance and that, that amount of time. But with a fell shoe, yeah, the other way for me, I, I tend to wear a snug fit shoe. And I have in the past worn a slightly bigger shoe. But then when you're descending at pace, there is that movement and if there's that movement that's when you can get the blisters that we talked about or you can bruise your toes so i tend to wear something that's that's a really tight fit and that's why i, I kind of have always gone with an innovate because it, i've got really thin feet as well and they do different widths of shoes so i would tend to wear something that is a, a precision fit very very kind of thin um fitting shoes but also something that's not going to have lots of movement in in the shoe but yeah that's the great point and i agree entirely with that so, so we've got we've got my shoes sorted out. So I've found, I found a race. I'm going to rock up whatever kit. Because sometimes if I look in the FRA handbook, it says full FRA kit required as well. So what does yeah. my full FRA? What can I kind of just rock up with my shoes? And yeah. That off? Another great question, mate. These are great questions. Yeah. So you want something first of all to carry the kit in, but you do need emergency kit. So we'll come on to the carrying bit in a minute. But to do a fell race, you have to have the the kind of minimum uh, kit requirements, and that involves uh, waterproof. So waterproof jacket and waterproof um, bottoms. Now, something that to be aware of about those as well, as you both know, you have to have taped seams, and that's because if you don't that it's a pointless having a waterproof without tape seams because the water just comes in through where the, the material's joined. The tape seam basically um, seals um, the different parts of the jacket together uh, and allows it to be more waterproof for a longer period of time. Um, so you need something that's, that's waterproof top and bottoms. And I would recommend if you are racing and you're buying kit to racing, something as lightweight as possible, but also that's going to do the job. Um, so there are quite a, a number of different kind of jackets available that you could, you could buy for that. Uh, you need a hat and gloves. Um, a buff, unfortunately, for many race organisers, doesn't class as a, as a hat. <laughs> so I tend to wear like a, a lightweight beanie. Um, 
and I'll put that in my bag if I don't need to wear it um, and a good pair of gloves so if it's a really cold day I'll wear something that's thermal if it's um, you know a mild day I'll just put in my bag kind of a thin pair of gloves uh, you need a compass uh, a map um, and that can be a printed map just on a sheet of paper as long as you can read it and you know how to read it and use it um, uh, a whistle to attract attention if you do take a fall unfortunately um, you need some food uh, with you I think I've covered everything there and then you um, I also take like a little drink as well sometimes if I'm doing a long fell race so it might just be um, a soft flask or what I might do is take a soft flask and not fill it with water but if I'm like kind of know there's going to be points on the race where I can fill up in a stream and you're happy to do that like I'll just do that I mean I remember once uh, Jim Davis who's a bit of a legendary fell runner he um, he just took a plastic bag with him, uh, like a like a little plastic bag. I remember him filling it up in this stream once during the race, and he just kind of drank out of it. This is before the days of soft flasks. And at one point, he was carrying this like plastic bag around with him, like this. And somebody got a picture of him and photoshopped a goldfish <laughs> in the bag, <laughs> and it was like he'd won it at a fair, but it was in a fell race. It was the funniest thing ever. Uh, this was pre pre soft flasks, but I just thought that was so ingenious. Um, I think yeah, so yeah I, think I've heard about I, I, I would take something you can drink out of, and actually you can get some little cups now. That I know um, mm -hmm. I keep mentioning Innovate, but Innovate and, and Salomon do these soft, you know, these kind of little other brands are available. There are other brands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I think you've got one and then you ultimately need to carry all this this gear as well so I, in the past I've, I've gone for a classic bum bag um, not worn it on the front obviously on the back as fell runners do um, but these days it's all about the race vest you know like that this the race vest is replacing the bum bag um, even for the shorter races yeah because i think now the the race vests are just so much comfier to mm. wear um I mean, I've still got a bum bag. I still rock it sometimes. Uh, you know, if, if I want to, if I'm feeling a bit retro, I'll get it out. Um, <laughs> I, I, I was retro. I should have put that on my uh, Strava run this morning. Retro run with bum bag. I, I didn't know I was being retro with my bum bag every day. <laughs> I thought I was cool. <laughs> yeah, no, you're definitely cool wearing a bum bag still, I promise. I mean, as long as I think with a bum bag, you need various points at which you can kind of uh, change, change and adjust it. So, as long as you can adjust it at the back and the, and the sides, because there's nothing worse than a bum bag that moves around and kind of rubs. You know, well, with the Montane ones, it's the Velcro, and it's absolutely perfect. They know they don't move. You should try yeah. them. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, I have been trying uh, some Montane uh, packs, and I've been trying the Gecko uh, V5, which is fantastic. But my yeah. favourite is the Ultra V, which is like it's a proper vest. So rather than it kind of yeah. coming on like this. It sits like a like a bib, mm. uh, and that's a really good race vest, actually. Um, Are you so, going to wear yeah. that with a t-shirt underneath, or vest underneath, yeah. or just go it's with not, just that? Yeah, that, that's a that, that's a good question. I think it <laughs> depends on how hot it is. It depends how many people are watching. If there's cameramen on or camera women on route, uh, whether or not. Uh, to the gym <laughs> yeah i mean there is the option just to wear it as a vest yeah um i don't think i've got quite the body to pull it off unfortunately i'd like to think i had but uh you know we've already been talking yeah. about all this mindset stuff so yeah exactly, you know, have that exactly positive yeah. mindset about it so it's almost yeah. very similar kit to what you need for a lot of ultra marathons and some trail races will kind of say mandatory kit um it's very similar yeah. isn't it so if you've already got some of that maybe kit for doing some kind of trail or ultramarathons, then you've got Definitely. that kit to take along into into fell running as well, then haven't you? Yeah, and it'll like you say, it'll do for everything. And I think uh, as well, sometimes now um, with the ultra running, especially, you need to carry a, a lot of food, don't you? So you need a bigger pack 
props for that. And there are packs where you can kind of um, uh, add and take away sections. Um, again, not so apologies for keeping mentioning of it. It's the one I've been using. It's a two-in-one one, so you can you can you know, add bits on and take it off, which is great. But there are other packs available that do let you to store you know food um, in your packs. What I do like about the Montaigne one is that you can put food down the front as well. It's got like loads of pockets at the front, nice. um, which is good. Yeah, um, and and that's the thing that I know. It, my experience of ultra running is very minimal and you guys obviously can advise on this, but one thing I found when I did the Dales way last way as a whole, and it was the first real experience I'd done running over kind of like 40 miles was that I needed to eat often and actually having that food accessible, having it on the front of my pack was really important. So that's something to consider. I think there's, there's more to consider doing um, an ultra race and using a pack than there is doing a short race um, and wearing a pack. Because for me, if I do a short race, my kit goes in the back and it's more just for carrying it for emergencies and I might not necessarily get it out and I, I probably won't get much out of my pack. Whereas if I'm ultra running, which isn't very often, but I, I want to get stuff out and things need to be accessible. So I need to consider where I'm going to put things as well. So it's good to practice with that, isn't it? I mean, that's mm. a question for you. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that De- oh, definitely. Like, yeah. 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 And, and talking about kind of food and hydration. So, you know, thinking about some of the fair race, so if I'm fancy doing a bit of a longer one. So we talked about Ennerdale earlier. It is, you know, when I do my ultramarathon, I often get checkpoints kind of every kind of 10 or 10K or 10 miles or so on. Is it, is it will, I, will I get lots of checkpoints on something like Ennerdale? Where do I get my water and where do I get my food from? Yeah, good good question. Um, I mean, when you're doing a race like Ennerdale, usually you're going to pass a stream at some point. And I would look on the map, if, if I'm honest, beforehand and have a look at various points where I could kind of fill up my bottle, for example. Um, or I might have somebody on route with a bottle to give me. Um, but generally, I will always have something to drink with me, even if it's just for an emergency, even if I don't drink it, just in case a stream's dried up or there's not somebody on the route. Um, but when you visit these checkpoints, it's not like a checkpoint like the London Marathon, for example, where you've got, you know, drinks and food and things you can take on board. Um, it, it, usually it's just somebody taking your number or you're dipping into it to a checkpoint to say that you've been there. So it's not like the aid stations. The only time you get an aid station is on a, a race where it specifies that you're going to have provisions on there, food and drink. I know some ultra um, races do have those checkpoints, don't they, where you can kind of stock up on food and eat sandwiches. That's the best bit, isn't it? <laughs> that's why, that's, why, but that's why they cost 20 times more. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I think I get banned from them. I think that's why I've not done them because um, I eat so much. I probably like eat more than the entry fee. They'd have to ban me or charge me more money. You, pay, you paid your money. Yeah, true. Yeah, I, I would definitely make sure I got enough uh, food as well. I, I think if it got to the last checkpoint and I didn't think, feel like I'd eaten enough, I'd just fill all my pockets. Um, just I'm, carry I'm, yeah, yeah, that's why yeah. you need the race vest rather than the That's why you also need Jim's plastic bag. Exactly. That's why you need Jim's plastic bag. Yes, exactly. Get rid of the water and the goldfish. And the goldfish. Get the, uh, <laughs> get the food in. We, we are, we are, we're not even on to talking about the international uh, mountain I know. running. I know. I wanted running out of... stories about you sneaking out of schools to get to planes. Oh, it's a good story. Have we got time just to do this sneaking oh, out of school story? Because I'm not a teacher anymore. Yeah. Tell us about your international So I... <laughs> Well, I'll, I'll t- yeah, I'll, t- I'll tell you about like because I'm not. I was a teacher for like 15 years, and 
it was good and bad because I got the holidays in which I could go and race and, and kind of train. Uh, but then there were times when I had races and I needed to teach um, or I couldn't get away quite as quite as easily. So basically what started happening towards the end of my career, and I didn't get sacked for this, by the way, but <laughs> now, I can tell this story now I have left teaching. Um, but it got to a point where I was going away most weekends in kind of the summer months and I was... Um, I was finishing work on a Friday. I was jumping on a plane to say Italy, for example, and I was flying back either Sunday night or Monday morning and going straight into work. And I was doing a race, obviously, when I w- when I was over there. But then there were occasions when I'd I'd have to fly out, at, let's say tea time, um, to get on flight to then get there ready for the race on the Saturday morning. And I'd have to be very creative with how I, I kind of made it to the airport. And there were times when I might have a lesson, like fifth period, for example, which meant if I taught that lesson, I would miss my flight. So quite often, and I can say this now because I, I can't get sacked anymore, I'd get somebody to cover my lesson, like a friend of mine, a, a, another teacher, not just a random <laughs> off the street, like another teacher. And I'd plan, obviously, <laughs> school of rock. But I'd, I'd sort of do it unofficially. And then I'd, I'd leave school a little bit earlier than I probably should have done. Now, the problem was, um, towards the back end of my career, the security around the school just kept improving and improving. You know, you couldn't just walk into a school. So therefore, you had to kind of go through reception to leave, which meant you had to sign out. Um, but then I found this kind of like weak point of like the security system where I could I could break out of the school. Um, and I'd climb over the gate and it's quite steep. And then I'd jump over and I'd, oh, I'd throw my bag over first and then I'd park further up the road and then I'd just like basically sneak out of school. So the, the hardest bit of getting to Italy on a Friday was actually breaking out of school. So one time, and this is a true story, I'd throw my bag over, I'd, I'd jumped over the fence, but I'd got like part of my, um, like back of my pants stuck on the fence. You know where you put your belt through? And I was literally hanging in midair on this fence and I was in front of a few classrooms and I couldn't get off the fence. And I, I, bear in mind, I'd, I'd kind of like left school illegally. I wasn't supposed to be out of the building. Um, <laughs> so I had to, I had to like, like basically rip my pants to get off the fence, get, get to the car, hope that nobody would see me, hope I wasn't on security cameras. There were like kids just like watching this so like unfold. Like outside this, imagine this fifth period like doing science and you're looking out the class, you're looking out the classroom window and you're seeing like Mr. Bouncer just dangling off the fence by his pants and then he rips his pants to get free of the, uh, you know, the, the fence itself. And then I'd quickly get to my car, hope nobody had seen me, yeah. just like do like a 90 mile an hour to get to the airport, jump on a flight, and make it by about 10 minutes sometimes. You know, I'd be running through security with, like, my pants, like, ripped. <laughs> Absolute nightmare, yeah. And then there was a, a, another time, and this this isn't kind of related to the same pants story, but once I um, I forgot, I used, to, I used to do a running club in the morning, and I forgot to take my, my school clothes with me. I just had my running kit. So I had to teach um, in my running kit all day. Because I had no other clothes with me, but I'd ripped, um, I'd ripped my shorts um, in the morning on the run, like in the worst possible place. I think you can imagine where I'd ripped my shorts. So I, I had nothing. I, I didn't really know what to do. I had to basically sit down um, in my seat and teach from from the front because if I stood up, I'd get arrested or sacked. And then if I went, when I went for my dinner, I had to get my my jacket that I was wearing and like tie it around my waist so it was covering everything. Um, again, another true story. So I didn't get sacked for that because I managed to kind of cover it. So what the hell before. did you do to get sacked for then? <laughs> well, I, no, I left with my own accord in the end. I, I left and changed careers. Yeah. So yeah, just to clarify, I didn't get sacked from teaching. What, I just uh, I just left because I felt I felt like it was the right time to go. <laughs> what, what, 
were you teaching? Art and design, uh, graphic design, uh, ICT. Oh. Um, yeah, so a range of subjects. Yeah, a range so of how subjects. Did... <laughs> how did you get on in the race in Italy? After... Uh, well, there were a few actually. I mean, that particular one I did really well because I used to I used to like going out to the Amalfi Coast. That was my favourite place. So um, that one time where I ripped the the, the pants and. I, I just made the flight. I mean, I had to get on the on the plane for five o'clock, so it was a pretty quick turnaround. I was I had to get to Leeds Bradford like pretty quick, but then I was flying out to Germany to get a plane, a connected flight to um, where did we go to Rome? So I flew to I think it was like uh, off the top of my head, like Dusseldorf to like Rome, and then Kirsty came out with my girlfriend, and she had a race, but in a different part of Italy that the next day. So we spent a night in Rome. Um, we had like tea outside the Colosseum amazing went to the hotel in the morning she got up sorry the race was on the sunday so in the morning on the saturday she got a hire car and she drove to um somewhere near lake como and did a race and i got the train from rome to naples i got my mate who was italian to pick me up on his scooter and take me up to a place called ravello in amalfi then the next day and i'd like dinner and in amalfi i was drinking like you know peroni overlooking that this the amalfi coast it was amazing did the race the next day Kirsty did her race, drove down to meet me in Ravello on Sunday night, spent a night in Ravello. Next day, um, I got the flight back via Germany, first thing Monday morning, got into school at like nine o'clock, got into briefing, just like no sleep. And everyone's just chatting, all the, the staff members are like, oh, what did you do this weekend? Oh, yeah, I had a kid's party, did this, oh, I cleaned the car. What did you do? Oh, I just went to Italy. <laughs> and I used to tell the at school none of them believed me they thought i was like a compulsive liar i'd be like yeah i, just did it. I went to italy to do a race they're like really like, did you win? yeah yeah i won it and oh i came second or whatever and they were like are you lying and they just thought they, it was like a, a thing where they just thought i was a compulsive liar so consequently they didn't believe anything i ever said then um so my teaching went downhill and that's probably why <laughs> Uh, that story, uh, yeah, it sounded like seeing that man down or something. Uh, just like Greg Davis must have seen that story and gone, I'm having that in man down. I'm going to put that in, in man down. Uh, we, we have had during that uh, hilarity, we have had uh, an, another question coming in. We'll start kind of writing. <laughs> one, which I think. If that sooner. Uh, yeah, but it's not even, we've not even gotten to the coffee yet. I think we'll finish off on the coffee chat very, very shortly. Uh, but Dean Dickinson wants to know. Uh, what you use for muscle recovery after hard training? This he's obviously seen the pints, He's seen the the guns. He's seen that kind of rippling physique. Kind that's, of that's what it is. I mean, you, you can't you can't hide these, can you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, good question, Dean. Good question. So basically, um, I'm, I, I like to, I like to do use if I'm doing a hard session, I do like to use some kind of recovery fuel. So the one I do use is Mountain Fuel, or I'll just do a, a classic pint of milk. But I, I quite like. They do this this like um, recovery fuel strawberry, which is nice, and like a morning fuel, which I know you, sort of says in the, in the title that you should use it in the morning. But I really like that the taste of it, so I use that sometimes on a night. Um, but then a couple of years ago, I started using um, CBD oil um, daily. Now I'm, I'm, I've never been a believer in anything like this before, but I tried some. Um, and the reason I tried it is because we'd, we'd gone out to Spain. This was after teaching to live in the camper van for like six months and, and kind of race and train every day. And it was getting to the point in the morning where I was getting up and I was like creaking for like 30 minutes and I was stiff. I, I, it took me like an hour to warm up before I could even like walk properly. And I started taking CBD oil because somebody recommended it. 
and I started sleeping better. Um, I started moving better. My joints were a bit freer. And I just put it down to that. So I've taken it ever since, and I still take it. In fact, I've probably got some now, actually. I've got some on my desk, so I don't like... Um, I, I, you know, I remember to take it in the morning. So every, every time I log on in the morning, I'll just take a couple of drops. But I, I honestly think that that stuff has really like helped me kind of recover um, as well as the mountain feel. Um, so yeah, CBD oil, way forward, I think. Mm, I use that too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah interesting, isn't it? I, I think it's good for, you know, anxiety as well. And I, I think obviously at this kind of world we're living in now and this, this like, you know, these COVID times, it's a nightmare, isn't it? You know, even... I'm a really positive person, but living at home all the time in that controlled environment, you know, where you can't go out and you're in lockdown, it's, it's uh, horrible, isn't it? So I've been, you know, quite anxious, you know, the last few months and therefore hope that's helped somewhat as well. Can you still hear me? Sorry. Connection gone. Oh, yeah, we'd lost your sound. Sorry. That's why we were frantically trying to get the sound back. So we missed that last bit. Sorry. <laughs> I had a slight technical... Um, I, I mean... One of the benefits of taking CBD oil is obviously it helps to treat kind of um, anxiety and, um, you know, stress as well. And, and it is a stressful time at the moment, isn't it? You know, it's getting better, but it's not been an easy, you know, 12 months, has it? So anything that helps with that, I'm a big fan of. Um, so, yeah, that, that and the mountain fuel, I think, has really helped. Oh, and me. what about coffee? So let, let's let's let's. Yeah. Um, we've gone over the hour as usual we never managed to keep within the hour on the scotland evening unfortunately but you left teaching yeah um, not under way. the cloud that we thought it might i mean when i was a kid i used to try and find ways to escape school but no i never noticed a teacher trying to escape school <laughs> as well but that was never on my radar i have to say maybe i just wasn't looking uh, hard enough, yeah. Kids skipping school with teachers, that's definitely a new one. Um, but uh, yeah, so we got into coffee. So how did that happen? Where do, so you now do coffee on the side? Yeah, so I'm a pretty random boy, really. I kind of was in teaching for 15 years and it, it, I had a really structured lifestyle. So I'd, I'd obviously know where I was every week. I'd, I'd know what I was doing and I'd be racing on a weekend and training on a night. And then I just got fed up really and I, th I wanted to change I wanted to kind of devote myself more to, to running really and what I enjoyed doing so on one of these trips on a weekend we were flying to Gran Canaria and I just decided with Kirsty that we we're going to quit our jobs and um, start something else now ironically the flights to Gran Canaria cost five pound each and we when we got on the plane I thought it was like a two-hour flight but it ended up being four hours so I didn't really know what to do for four hours so I, we, we started drinking a few gin and tonics and after three gin and tonics, we'd spent like 60 quid on gin and tonic and the flight was five pound. And we, we decided in that moment of kind of gin and tonic madness that we we're going to quit our jobs and just do something different. So I had no plan at all. I'm just going to quit the job and find something. And I was going to hope something turned up. And during that time of like quitting teaching, somebody in the village of Grassington um, was selling like an old horse trailer. Um, so... I just phoned this guy up and, and ended up buying it. Uh, and then we turned it into a coffee van. I'd never made a coffee before in my life, apart from like just one that you'd fill a kettle up with, you know, just Nescafe. Um, so subsequently, trained as a barista, so did Kirsty, um, and then did the van up and then just randomly opened up Cafe Robso. So we've got like the, the, the horse trailer, the horse box that, that it would have gone to events and weddings and, and races and things like that you know pre-covid but then 
post-COVID is sat at the end of our road as you've been you've been last we year. came a few days ago yeah <laughs> and it goes up to the local campsite as well um but in the during that time as well um i didn't kind of have that level of security with the job so i was already working part-time for sports shoes doing like writing because i'm a content writer for them um and then i went full-time so i work full-time in midweek for, for sports shoes um on the marketing department and um i'm the content writer for the website so i do all the articles for the hubs and look after the athletes and that kind of thing so i'm massively involved in running midweek um and then in my spare time that's where the kit testing comes in and you know gets to try all different bits of kit out and then on a weekend i'm a barista yeah so i'm a busy guy but like really random and i like coffee so i do like drinking coffee and the bonus now is that i can just drink as much coffee as i want uh when i want so it's great and working from home most of the time i'm, I'm constantly on the coffee it's great and i know you're a fan because you, you, you're, you're my best fan. i feel like you spend all your runs thinking of stupid titles to put on our coffee deliveries <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I spend a lot of my runs just thinking about stupid things, full stuff. I think, yeah, definitely. But yeah, I do because every every time I post you um, some coffee out, I always think, what can I put next? I'm running out of ideas. So yeah, that postman very interesting. So which is your which is your favourite type? Let's kind of end on some coffee chat. I know we've been talking a lot about far running, but what's your favourite kind of coffee bean? Then do you have a a preferred coffee bean? Yeah. Well, prior to kind of opening the cafe, we went round and tried like loads of different suppliers and tried loads of different coffees until eventually we, we found one that we really, really liked. And that is the one that we sell on the van. Uh, and the one that we sell most of all, it's called the Lowther Blend, which is what we've kind of put together that it, it is a blend, but it, it, for me, it's just got a bit of everything. It's, you know, it's, it's full bodied and it's, um, it's really tasty and it just, I, I drink flat white or espresso. So it's just something it's nice with and without milk um and for me that, that just kind of ticks all the boxes um so that's my favorite coffee but then i'm open to trying different ones as well so that's why i've just started kind of bringing out a few different new blends and some bielsa blend and uh, some uh, i came up with another one called clop coffee because i got a lot of pressure after the bielsa blend from liverpool fans and and other fans as well but mainly the liverpool fans to like do a, a clop coffee so I've just unleashed that today. Oh, Don't think it'll sell. Not one in this house. No, no, I'm not drinking it either. No. So I think it'll be flop coffee that one. I'm going to stick to the Bielsa blend um, and the, yeah, the Lauder blend until Christmas, and then it's <laughs> disappeared yeah. a bit. In fact, that that might instead of the little notes, I might I might name a coffee after you two. Actually, that, that could be the next one. So that's that that would trump. Some of my my goals, my secret goals of me appearing in certain things or in certain magazines, stuff like that, having a coffee named after me. My God, that right. would be it. I would be like, well, in that in that case, I'll, I'll leave it with me and uh, I'll see what I can do. Oh well, well, now we've kind of done it online. It's live. It's going to be, you know, it's yeah, going to be on YouTube. I've committed myself now, haven't I? Yeah, Excellent. and I guess. I need to stay with the coffee now. I can't really go back into teaching now after this interview, so I'm going to have to stick with the, the kind of career and the coffee. So I might as well keep developing the blends. And that's Cafe Robso. If they want to find you on social media and take yeah, coffee. yeah, or if you, if anyone's up in the Yorkshire Dales near Grassington, Threshfield, pop in for a coffee on a weekend. Yeah, or you can yeah get in touch on on uh, Cafe Robso. And then hopefully we'll media. see you at Fell Races when they start to come back. Is that the plan with the? 
Definitely, yeah. So I've I've entered Ennerdale. That's that's the next one. I'm kind of doing that um, as a bit of training for the MCC, which is the baby race of the UTMB. I know you two want to get out of bed for less than 50 miles. It's, it's lost on you, the MCC. But uh, but yeah, for me that's a long one. So I'm training for that. It'll be good practice, and then also for the uh, World Masters uphill. Now you mentioned before about um, doing a Masters um, before I was 40. Oh yeah. In, I'm a European master. You only need to be 35. I, uh, I know. I do. I, do, I, do, I, do, I, do, I didn't right, know that. I was just being a bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I didn't agree. I didn't agree with, like, with the masters in Europe. I don't agree with that. I think 40 is definitely yeah. where it should start. So yeah. that's where it's at, isn't you it? You know, some some of us have been there for a few years now. And probably, right, <laughs> you're a real master. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> you are a real master. Yeah. Edging yeah. ever closer to, to 50. Me and Jebby are the same age. So that no was... way. Yeah, you're an inspiration, both of you. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> Generation. <laughs> anyway, well, I, listen, listen. I saw him on Saturday and he was he was flying down Grassington High Street and I was like, my God, he's, he's run from Buckton and he's, he doesn't look like he's broken sweat. So I was very impressed. You, you were going a fair pace. I was trying to dodge all the um, kind of tourists and not, you know, not doing too much of a um, all creatures great and small. Kind of uh, yeah, really looking out for Sam West and some of the other actors. <laughs> you look good, mate. You were just a blur. You came past the car. I was like, "Wow, he's going, he's going fast." So, <laughs> so don't forget, I'll, I'll be helping you on your. Um, you know, if you, if you want to do any any running up this way again, and you've got anything in mind, let me know, and I'll, I'll definitely help you out. Fantastic. Yeah. Likewise, if you're ever down in the peaks, give a shout. Well, Ben, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this evening, and um, Peter Savage has said it's been a great interview. Uh, oh thanks so if you uh, ever want me back i'd love to come back I've, I've always oh, got i'm, I'm about, sure if we get more I, questions and then we yeah can I mean, there's more more, more tales that we haven't heard about you <laughs> rocking up to races tales, yeah <laughs> i've always got buzz i don't the thing with me is i don't really plan anything very well so i'll leave a lot to chance and then things just happen like in that period of time between leaving it to chance and then things going wrong and also just you know going with random local people in the villages you've gone to for races. I think there was exactly. some stories yeah, I remember you talking about that. <laughs> they're the best kind of experiences, yeah. I just, I, I never have any expectations, so I leave it purposely open as, you know, it's, to interpretation and then I, I can just like, enjoy it a bit more, I think, because I've never got any expectations about anything, so anything's a bonus then, any, any positives a bonus. So, yeah. Fantastic. Brilliant. What a great, yeah, great kind of growth mindset very positive of it all well thank you so much yeah, Ben thank you for joining Cheers, us guys. if you do have any questions you've been watching this on YouTube yeah, put them down in the comments down below and we'll try and answer them and get Ben to um, answer them but uh, thank you so much for joining us Ben good evening That's stay brilliant. safe thanks so much guys cheers oh you're welcome brilliant well, there we go. What a oh, I can't laugh so much again on a Wednesday <laughs> evening. It's almost like a comedy night for me. I think I've kind of recomposed myself. I hope you've enjoyed this interview. If you joined us live, thank you for joining us. If you've watched us back on YouTube, please make sure you click on the subscribe button to keep up to date with what's happening. If you're listening to us on podcast and you've taken us out for a run, we hope you've had a good run and hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast. And uh, please leave us a review as well it kind of helps us on on the ratings uh, claire's back next week and we're back in two weeks time yeah. and who have we I can't, have we got the guests lined up yet or is it we have oh. no i think we've got mr damien hall oh <laughs> i think i've heard of him i think he's done some running of some sort so yeah we're chatting to damien hall of his new book so hope you can join us in two weeks time remember claire will be here next wednesday live live on youtube as well so have a good rest of the week stay safe and we'll see you all soon Bye. goodbye <laughs>
Hi, it's Claire here. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. These live chats take place every Wednesday evening at 6.30pm UK time on World Ginger Running YouTube channel. And the link is in the show notes. I just wanted to let you know that you can find this and loads more advice and inspiration and gear tests all about trail and ultra running on my YouTube channel, Wild Ginger Running. There are training tips, advice from elite athletes, top coaches, nutritious recipes, key exercises, injury prevention information, and tons of trail kit reviewed from running packs to poles, waterproofs to head torches, GPS watches, and shoes, 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 and did I mention shoes? I've been going for a few years now, so there's a huge archive of content to help you out with your trail and ultra running. To quickly and easily find the information you need, simply type your query into the Google search box and then write wild ginger running after it. Then Google will show you whatever blog posts or films I have on that topic. Give it a try. And if you appreciate listening and all the information I share on YouTube, you're also very welcome to support me on Patreon, which gets you some additional excellent perks and the chance to win some awesome prizes. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee every month, patrons get discounts, extra films, access to the exclusive Facebook and Strava groups, the chance to ask questions to every live chat guest, plus automatic entry into my monthly competition to win £400 worth of trail and ultra running gear. There are only about 150 patrons, so the odds on a win are way better than the lottery. Interested? Find me at patreon.com slash wildgingerrunning. Thanks for listening, guys. Have fun, enjoy your run, and I'll see you on the trails. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.